Dedication and Preface to the Lusiads. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lenny. The Lusiads by Luís Vais de Camões. Translated by Sir Richard Francis Burton. Dedication. To His Imperial Majesty Dom Pedro de Alcântara, Dom Pedro II, Constitutional Emperor and Perpetual Defender of the Brazil, to the men rather than the monarch, this version of a poem so dear to the heart of every Brazilian is offered by His Imperial Majesty's most obedient humble servant, the translator. Il far un libro è meno che niente, se il libro fatto non rifala gente. Giusti. Place, riches, favor, prizes of accident as oft as merit. Shakespeare. Ora toma espada, agora a pena. Now with the sword hilt, then with pen in hand. Camões, Sonnet 192. Bramo assai, poco spero, nulla quiero. Tasso. Tout se la prouve enfin, que l'ouvrage est plein de grands beautés. Puisque depuis deux cent ans, il fait les délices d'une nation spirituelle qui doit en connaître les fautes. Voltaire, Essai, etc. To my master, Camões. Tu sei lo mio maestro, il mio autore. Great pilgrim poet of the sea and land, thou lifelong sport of fortune's ficklest will, doomed to all human and inhuman ill, despite thy lover heart, thy hero hand enroll by thy pen what marvellous band of godlike forms thy golden pages fill love honour justice valour glory thrill the soul obedient to thy strong command amid the prophets highest sits the bard at once revealer of the heaven and earth to heaven the guide of earth the noblest guard and mid the poets thine the peerless worth whose glorious song thy genius soul reward, bids all the ages, Camões, bless thy birth. R. F. B. Editor's Preface I felt that I had no light task before me when I undertook to edit my husband's translation of Camões' Lusiades. The nearer I come to that work, the more mountainous does it appear, instead of dispersing, as most work does when one sets one's shoulder to the wheel. Yet I feel that no other than myself should do this office for him, for I shared his travels in Portugal, his four years up-country in Brazil, learned the language with him, and I have seen for nineteen and a half years the Camões table duly set apart, the bon bouche of the day. I have been daily and hourly consulted, as to this expression, or this or that change of word, this or that peculiarity of Camões. What, then, are those difficulties, you, the reader, will ask me? Let me try to explain. So many enterprising poet-authors have translated Camões, and received their meed of praise and popularity. In old times, Fenshaw, the best because so quaint. Then, Messrs. Mickle, Musgrave, and Mitchell. Laterly, Mr. J. J. Alberton, Mr. Duff, and Mr. Hewitt. 
but this translation stands apart from all the rest, as far apart as the Passionspiel of Oberammergau stands apart, as a grand dramatic act of devotion from all the other miracle plays now suppressed. This translation is not a literary tour de force, done against time or to earn a reputation. It is the result of a daily act of devotion of twenty years from a man of this age, who has taken the hero of a former age for his model, his master, as Dante did Virgil, and between whose two fates, master and disciple, exists a strange and fatal similarity. What I tremble for in its publication is that it is too aesthetic for the British public, and will not meet with its due meed of appreciation as the commoner translations have done. If a thousand buy it, will a hundred read it, and will ten understand it? I say to myself, but then I brighten at the thought that to those ten it will be the gem of their library. It stands in poetry where Boito's Mephistophele stands in music. He was not appalled by Gonot, nor Spohr, nor Wagner, nor Meyerbeer, and in the opinion of many musicians has distanced them all. The first hearing of his opera takes away your breath, that is, if you are a musician. If not, it was a sin to occupy the place which would have been a seventh heaven to a musician. You don't understand it, nor pretend to do so, but you long to go again, and you do go, night after night, each time unfolding new beauties in each separate passage, until you know by heart, and have dissected the whole, nor even then do you tire, but enjoy it all the more. In this translation, whenever my husband has appeared to coin words, or to use impossible words, they are the exact rendering of Camões. In every singularity or seeming eccentricity, the disciple has faithfully followed his master, his object having been not simply to write good verse, but to give a literal word-for-word -word rendering of his favorite hero. And he has done it to the latter, not only in the words, but in the meaning and intention of Camões. To the unesthetic, to non-poets, non-linguists, non-musicians, non-artists, Burton's Lusiads will be an unknown land, an unknown tongue. One might as well expect them to enjoy a dominant seventh, or an inharmonic change in harmony. To be a poet, one must be a musician. To be a musician or a painter, one must have a poetic temperament, or the poetry or the music will have a hard metallic sound, and become a doggerel, a scherzo, the painting a signpost. With this little explanation, I command this grand work to the study of the public. The commentaries will interest all alike. Isabel Burton, Trieste, July 19, 1880
a wayfarer and a voyager from his youth, a soldier somewhat turbulent withal, wounded and blamed for his wounds, a moralist, a humorist, a satirist, and consequently no favorite with King Demos, a reverent and religious spirit after his own fashion, somewhat renaissance, poetic and pagan, by no means after the fashion of others, an outspoken, truth-telling, lucre-despising writer, a public servant whose motto was, strange to say, honor, not honors, a doughty sword and yet doughtier pen, a type of the chivalrous age, a patriot of the purest water, so jealous of his country's good fame that nothing would satisfy him but to see the world bow before her perfections, a genius, the first and foremost of his day, who died in the direst poverty and distress, such in merest outline was the man, and such was the life which won the fondest and liveliest sympathies of the translator. Poetas por poetas sejam lidos, sejam só por poetas explicadas suas obras divinas. Still by the poets be the poets read, only be rendered by the poet's tongue their works divine, writes Manuel Correia. Mickle expresses the sentiment with more brevity and equal point. None but a poet can translate a poet, and Coleridge assigns to a poet the property of explaining a poet. Let me add that none but a traveller can do justice to a traveller. And it so happens that most of my wanderings have unconsciously formed a running and realistic commentary upon Belusians. I have not only visited almost every place named in the Epos of Commerce, in many I have spent months and even years. The arch-poet of Portugal paints from the life. He has also the insight which we call intro-vision. He sees with exact eyes where others are purblind or blind. Only they who have personally studied the originals of his pictures can appreciate their perfect combination of fidelity and realism with fancy and idealism. Here it is that the traveler translator may do good service with his specialty. Again, like Boccaccio, Camões reflects the lux ex oriente. There is a perfume of the East in everything he writes of the East. We find in his song much of its havoc and all its splendor. Oriental-like, he delights in the pathetic fallacy, to lavish upon inanimates the attributes of animate sensation. Here again, the student of things Eastern, the practical Orientalist, may be useful by drawing attention to points which escape the European, however learned. There are many translators of Camões yet to come. We are an ephemeral race, each one struggling to trample down his elder brother like the simoniacal popes in the Malibolge pit. My first excuse for adding to the half-dozen translations in the field must be my long studies, geographical and anthropological. I can at least spare future writers the pains and penalties of saddling the exactest of poets with bad ethnology and worse topography. These may be small matters, but in local coloring every touch tells. My chief qualifications for the task, however, are a thorough appreciation of the poem, and a hearty admiration for the poet, whom I learned to love in proportion as I learned to know him. His Lusiads has been described as 
une lecture saine et fortifiante. I would say far more. The singer's gracious and noble thoughts are reviving as the champagne air of the mountain top. His verse has the true heroic ring of such old ballads as Saint-Assauvian devant la lance, un mine en échelle en tout lieu, un prouesse les bons avances, ta dame te nommerait mieux. And with this love and sympathy of mine mingles not a little gratitude. During how many hopeless days and sleepless nights Camões was my companion, my consoler, my friend, on board raft and canoe, sailor and steamer, on the camel and the mule, under the tent and the jungle tree, upon the fire peak and the snow peak, on the prairie, the campo, the steppe, the desert, where no conversable being can be found within a march of months, and when the hot blood of youth courses through the brain, and we and nostalgia are readily bred, while both are fatal to the explorer's full success. And preferring to all softer lines the hard life of discovery travel, where things that own not man's dominion dwell, where foot of mortal man hath never been. A career which combines cultivation and education with that resistless charm, that poetry passion of the unknown, whose joy of mere motion lightens all sorrows and disappointments, which aids by commune with nature the proper study of mankind, which enlarges the mental view as the hill-head broadens the horizon, which made Julian a saint, Kisser a prophet, and Odin a god. This Heiselust, I say, being my ruling passion, compelled me to seek a talisman against homesickness and the nervous troubles which learned men call phrenologia and autophobia. I found this talisman in Camões. And, if it be true that by virtue of his perfect affection and veneration for Homer, whom he loved as a second self, Chapman was enabled to reflect a something of the old Greek's magic force and fire, I also may be permitted to hope that complete sympathy with my poet will enable me to present the public with a copy not unworthy of Camões' immortal work. After all, to speak without undue modesty, my most cogent reason for printing this translation of my master is simply because I prefer it to all that have appeared. Others will think otherwise, and there is a judge from whose sentence lies no present appeal. I have spared no labor on the work. I have satisfied myself, if not malbouche, and I repeat my motto, poco spero, nulla quiero. If a concurrency of adverse trifles prevent my being appreciated now, the day will come, happily somewhat late, when men will praise what they now pass by. Richard Francis Burton Cairo, May 1st, 1880 Note Contrary to custom, I begin with my translation of the poem, and end with what usually comes first, the commentary. This introduction, now converted to a postscript, is necessary for the full comprehension of an epic upwards of three centuries old. But, believing in the liberty of footnotes, I have appended a few, which will save many readers the mortification of consulting the conclusion. The following synopsis of the Lusiades shows the raison d'être of my commentary. Canto One, The Voyage, in Stanzas 106, lines 848. Canto Two, The Voyage, in Stanzas 113, lines 904. Canto Three, Historical, 
in stanzas 143 lines 1144 canto 4 historical in stanzas 104 lines 832 canto 5 the voyage and geographical stanzas 100 lines 800 canto 6 the voyage and geographical stanzas 99 lines 792 canto 7 Geographical Historical, stanzas 87, lines 696. Canto 8, Historical, in stanzas 99, lines 792. Canto 9, Romantic, in stanzas 95, lines 760. Canto 10, Geographical Ethnographical Historical, in stanzas 156, lines 1248. Totals. Stanzas, a thousand a hundred and two, lines eight thousand eight hundred sixteen. The text of the poem is immediately followed by the seventy-nine estancias desprezadas, or stanzas which, omitted by Camões, were printed from manuscripts after his death. Of these six hundred thirty-two lines, many were rejected for special reasons, and not a few deserve translation. They are here offered to the public for the first time. Thus, my commentary falls naturally into four chapters. Chapter 1, Biographical, with three sections. Section 1, Essay on the Life of Camões. Section 2, Camões the Man. And Section 3, Camões the Poet. Chapter 2, Bibliographical, with five sections. Section 1, On Translating the Lusiads. Section 2, English Translators with Specimens. Section 3, Notices of English Translators. Section 4, Minor, Partial, and Miscellaneous English Translations, and Section 5, The Present Version. Chapter 3, Historical and Chronological, with four sections. Section 1, Portugal before the reign of Dom João II. Section 2, Dom João III and Dom Manuel. Section 3, The Reign of Dom João III. And Section 4, The Annals of His Country Till the Death of Camões. Chapter 4, Geographical, with four sections. Section 1, Preliminary. Section 2, The Voyage of da Gama. Section 3, The Travels and Campaigns of Camões in the Nearer East. And, Section 4, In the Further East. I make no apology for the length of this topographical essay. The subject has been much neglected by modern commentators. Chapter 5, A Notative. I have here placed explicatory and philological details which illustrate the ten cantus, concluding with three tables borrowed from various sources. Number one, editions of the works of Camões. Number two, tables of translations of the works, especially the Lusiads. And number three, contents of the Lusiads, which may serve as an index of subjects. In conclusion, I have to thank Monsieur Wyman for the care and trouble they have taken in printing the translation. Trieste, July 10th, 1880. End of dedication and preface.